Hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Antonio Neves here, and welcome to episode 27 of The Best Thing. And on this episode, I have an amazing conversation with my dear friend, Lincoln Stevens. I'll tell you more about Lincoln and his work in the introduction to the podcast. But Lincoln shared with me about a powerful lesson that he learned in sixth grade that came from an assignment, and it helped him form and shape a vision for the rest of his life. And it's super inspiring and super motivating. I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, before we get to that episode, just a couple of quick things I, I want to hear from you. So if you're digging this podcast, if there's some thoughts you have, if there are some guests that you would love to see, shoot me a text message. Text me the word podcast. Text me the word podcast to 310-564-7124. Once again, text me the word podcast to 310-564-7124 and let me know who and what you'd like to see on this podcast. And lastly, hey, if you're digging this podcast, I just invite you to take the time to subscribe or follow if you haven't already. And just take literally three minutes to write a short review. Uh, when you write that review, it helps other people find amazing content like this. So once again, thank you for listening. And without further ado, episode 27 with Lincoln Stevens. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker author and coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is a dear friend of mine, so dear that he's much more than a friend. He is a brother to me. He was in my wedding and we have had each other's backs for over 10 years now. Lincoln Stevens is the co-founder and CEO of the Marcus Graham Project that works to bring more diversity to the advertising industry through mentorship, exposure, and career development. I'm so proud to serve on the board of this amazing organization. A former advertising executive, Lincoln has worked with the top brands, including Frito-Lay, Waker, Cadillac, Coca-Cola, Lexus, and Moet Hennessy. You know, just some small, some small brands. Lincoln has been acclaimed as one of advertising age's top 40 marketing leaders under 40. Now, Lincoln has a passion for community organizing and fundraising and has worked with a variety of organizations, including Rock the Vote, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and the YMCA, just to name a few. But what I really dig about Lincoln is that he's current chair of his neighborhood association in Dallas, Texas. Lincoln, welcome to The Best Thing. Hi, right, thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I'm so glad to have you. A dear friend, man. And I think back when we first met about 10 years ago, I was working for Advertising Age, which many probably will call the preeminent top you know, trade journal in the advertising industry. And I was working there. And I was one of those few people, frankly, of color that worked there that you could see. And Lincoln, of course, your mission is diversify the advertising industry and media industry and beyond. But could you briefly tell the story about how you reached out to me? Because Lincoln and I connected in a way that typically folks don't connect and you may hit delete, but I'm so glad I didn't hit delete. 
Well, especially then. So, you know, I sent a message on uh, LinkedIn. I guess it's proper protocol to to make some level of familiarity before you try to connect with someone on LinkedIn. But I sent a message and sent another message and maybe sent another message and just, uh, you know, sort of sort of cyber stalked you to uh, to try to connect because, you know, I, I was really wanting to connect to other black men and black people in, in, in advertising and media in all fashions. Yeah. And we connected and I was fortunate enough to have a little bit of a, a little bit of leverage at advertising age. We did one of the very first stories, if not the first national story on the Marcus Graham project that led to a lot. Of course, Lincoln had already done a lot of the legwork, him and his, uh, his co-founder, Larry, uh, but I was happy to be able to do that. And it's fascinating how things quickly change because in some ways, okay, you could say, okay, Antonio, maybe you open the door a little bit for some national exposure for the Marcus Graham project. Whether I was there or not, that was going to happen because the mission is so important and it needs to happen. But what I will never forget, Lincoln, man, and this blows me away, when I left that meeting, and I know when I say what I'll never forget, your brain can go so many different ways (laughs) on this, but this is a cool one. When I left the television industry and media behind after 12 years in New York City, and I branched off to work in a leadership and development work, a lot of people told me I was crazy, Lincoln. They're like, what are you doing? Why would you leave this great TV career behind to, be, to become a coach, to become a speaker? And I, I don't know if you know this, Lincoln, but you were one of the first people to ever actually write me a check oh, to wow. do leadership and development work, to facilitate a workshop for the Marcus Graham Project in Dallas. And I've, I've never told you, man, when so many people who I frankly thought would open up doors for me, who would give me those opportunities, people who I was close to, they did not. Oh, wow. You, someone I didn't know super, super well at the time, gave me that first opportunity, man. So I, I got to say thank you. Oh, no problem. Did the check clear? <laughs> the check cleared. The check cleared. Um, but seriously, that, that means a lot because sometimes, you know, we make assumptions that I say this quote sometimes. Sometimes the people we know the least support us the most. Right. Sometimes the people we know the least support us the most is we think those people we've known for a long time are going to be in our back and have our corner, but they don't necessarily always open the doors. And actually, can you briefly speak on that? How sometimes people who know you the least support you the most? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, really, um, it's also, you know, I'm a Christian. It's also biblical. A, A prophet is without honor in his hometown is what the word says. And so, you know, you think about what, what that really means is that, you know, your family may actually value or not understand what you're doing the least. And someone may, a stranger may see exactly what it is and put all of their support behind you. Um, and, 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 you know, for whatever reason that, that, that exists, um, you know, I think it's, it's not a bad thing necessarily because you get to meet new people, create new friendships, you know, like ours, right? Uh, knew you the least. Yet um, you, in fact, absolutely, yes, did uh, create the first national story about our program, which then begat, you know, actually uh, a woman from AT&T that saw that story uh, gave, and that opened up our first corporate sponsorship. She actually emailed me just 30 minutes ago. So uh, so that's funny. Um, but, you know, but it it's interesting because, again, you develop new relationships uh, and it sets perhaps a barometer for the relationships that you have to understand maybe your time in my life or maybe the space uh, that you exist in one part of my life 
isn't the lane that I can depend on you for. Maybe I'm being over dependent on family members or friends to kind of cover all bases of, 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 of my life. And, and, and maybe, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they have too much going on in their life or maybe, or maybe I have too much going on in mine. But um, sometimes I think it's good um, to be able to kind of space out and fan out uh, opportunities for people to, to have an indelible mark on your life. So if I'm hearing you correctly and I'm thinking about the listeners listening right now, like Lincoln, I hear you. And, yo, that brings up frustration. I can't front early on. I was frustrated when some people that I thought and I made assumptions and after my dad always told me no one owes you anything, but you owe yourself everything. But how did you early on? I'm sure, again, with your amazing experience in the industry, you're a super connected guy. I'm sure there are some folks that you thought would maybe write a check that they could write off on their taxes, people that maybe would open up some doors that didn't early on. How did you not get frustrated, beat down from that? Were you thinking long-term? What allowed you to plow ahead? Well, I think, first of all, someone's no is someone else's yes. I think the thing that frustrated me as a particular, as a Black person, as a Black male, um, was the, uh, the lack of support from certain um, black institutions or agencies or companies that that I assumed would want to support uh, our initiative in, in the early stages or even now, um, and that and that didn't. You know, you would think, hey, you are in the business, you are an entrepreneur. You know, support and it's not necessarily financially, but support in some kind of way. And to a certain degree. Some companies and people looked at uh, what we did as competition to them, which was mm. which was disheartening because um, it's like I'm okay. We're running a nonprofit training young people. We're not creating an agency to take business away from you. But I think they perhaps saw something that we didn't see that we actually were creating something that could be formidable um, that clients and, and 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 companies wanted to get behind. And because of the up until recently, because of the lack of dollars that a lot of corporations were spending to support um, black run and and focus initiatives and organizations, the notion that we were in competition with each other was there because because the pool of resources had been so little because of the lack of value that a lot of companies um, placed on, on on black lives and black futures. That makes complete sense. It makes me think about years ago, I was covering a story. I forgot where it was, but I remember going into the city, Lincoln, thinking the story was X. And as you know, with your journalism background, the story you think is the story is rarely the actual story, right? Right. But I went in thinking this was the story. Then I found out the story was something else and it involved a lot of different nonprofit organizations. And the story I found out was a lot of these nonprofit organizations didn't support one another. They had the exact same mission, but they didn't support one another because they were going after the same money. Yeah. They were going after the same grants, the same resources, yet they had the same mission. I'm just like, holy moly, what if we pull together, work together? But that's a, that's a whole other conversation. Briefly, before I get to this question, Lincoln, of the best thing, I mentioned, you know, we, I mentioned your background, man, which is so impressive. Anyone Googles your name, all they're going to see is tons of press and magazine things that I didn't even mention in here. But what I love about this bio, man, is you being the chair of the Neighborhood Association. I've had the opportunity to come to your house, to stay at your house, to eat at your house. Lincoln is an excellent cook. Make sure 
when you go to the show notes, check out his uh, Instagram feed for the Bootstrap Kitchen. Um, but tell me about the importance, though, of being involved in the Neighborhood Association. Well, it's important. So our neighborhood, um, first of all, is a, um, is a neighborhood that was established in around 1913 here in Dallas. And it was um, back then it was a, a, an all Jewish neighborhood. And if you've ever heard of the company Neiman Marcus, um, Stanley Marcus, the co-founder and son of the co-founder, he grew up in this neighborhood, Borden Milk, uh, the Borden family uh, uh, grew up in this neighborhood. And he had a lot of really, really prominent families that grew up here. And so over time, you saw a transition between this neighborhood being, you know, the homes are huge, not mine, uh, but the, the, <laughs> the homes on the, the next street are, are huge and mansions, and they were crafted by some of the, the best um, uh, architects in, in that time and contractors in that time. And the value and importance of the history of the neighborhood is incredible. And as it became eventually in the 40s and 50s, uh, a neighborhood for middle class to upper middle class African-American families, you know, that that history, you know, now that's what it's 80 years old is it, precious. And it's one of the reasons why we moved in. And so being a part of the Neighborhood Association to make sure that we take advantage of all the things that that we could from the city's perspective, incentives and stuff like that is important. But also just to have a close connection to your neighbors. I mean, this is one of the only this is the only neighborhood that I've lived in where I really, as an adult especially, that I felt like was a real neighborhood. Like I, you know, like today when I was watering our, you know, plants in the front, my neighbor next door, you know, it's hello. She's sitting on her porch, we're having a long conversation, and um, and and that's great. Just being able to foster more, and then two, showing my son who's about to be five the importance of leadership in a variety of areas, the importance of, and the importance of participating in a variety of areas. So when we're going to our neighborhood association meeting and he's there and he's coloring and he's sitting there, he may not necessarily understand the context of the things that we're talking about, but he's certainly having the type of exposure that will give him an idea of what he can participate in as adult. And, you know, and that's really kind of how, how I grew up. I'm just kind of a, you know, kind of repeating the cycle of involvement uh, in your community. I love that, man. What I love also, again, I've spent time at your home. And what I love about your home is the beautiful porch that you have. And I think I love that about a lot of Southern homes that they do have that porch. And I can even think back to my grandparents who were from Arkansas originally, their home in Michigan, uh, they had a porch and they used to just sit out there and I'd be like, what are y'all doing? I didn't understand it. And it took me getting older to appreciate being out there, seeing people nodding your head acknowledging others, letting folks know your son, you need to talk to your boy. Um, (laughs) A whole bunch of different things. I love the porch. Um, So let's transition to this question. I talked to people, Lincoln, about the best thing to ever to happen to them that would rarely show up on a bio resume or come up in conversation. What's one of those things for you that has played a, you know, a big role in your life and who you are today? Yeah, I think one of the best things that happened to me was around about sixth grade, one of my, still to this day, like my favorite teacher, his name was Trigger Butler. Margaret was her actual first name, but she, but Trigger Butler uh, gave an assignment that really impacted, impacted my life in, in such a profound way. So I went to uh, an Episcopal uh, grade school. Uh, I was the only um, Black person in my class. 
uh, and one of the only in our entire entire school. Wow. My sisters being the other two of the others. Um, and um, and so, you know, that that didn't necessarily present any challenges. Um, I never had any challenges. I never really grew up facing any kind of uh, what I thought was, or at least observed as, you know, sort of racial animus or anything like that. Um, but in, in our class, um, Ms. Butler had a project for us and it was to examine our family crest and our family coat of arms and to do a report on what that coat of arms was. And, you know, part of her, her class was, it was speech in English. So it was really, the assignment was really to, about presentation and learning about presenting yourself in a confident way. And so it just so happened to be based in, uh, in family uh, and then therefore identity. And so with my last name, Stevens, uh, with a P Stevens with a PH, I looked up and uh, looked up my family crest only to find that the family crest said that my family was from Ireland. I'm like, oh, <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about I don't know about this. This doesn't seem this doesn't seem to be um, what I think my heritage is, right? Uh, as a black person and, and as a person that I think at that time knew to a certain degree that I, I, I was at least from Louisiana, uh, at least from Texas, but certainly uh, uh, certainly whose roots trace back to the continent of Africa. And so when I looked at that crest and I looked at everything that it stood for. It wasn't that it stood for anything that was an, like anti me, but I knew that that had nothing to do with my family. And so I said, hey, Mrs. Butler, you know, because of all the reasons why my last name is Stevens, because um, I had watched Roots, right, as a kid. And, you know, growing up in a lot growing up in the types of schools we grew up in, they did not teach about the transatlantic slave trade and all that type of thing. But having some awareness of it, I and I, I said, hey, for all the reasons why why um, my last name is Stevens, I don't know if I can accurately do this project because I feel like I would be um, lying or misrepresenting the purpose of the assignment. So is there a way that I could make up my own? And she said, absolutely, absolutely. Make up your own um, and and make sure you make it yours and be and be proud of it. And it's just great having a teacher saying that because what that unlocked in me is, first of all, an additional comfort of, of, of my identity and particularly the comfortability of my identity as a black person in a predominantly white space. Right. And, you know, I made up my own family crest. I remember I remember what it was. Um, which wasn't necessarily a whole bunch of redeeming values, but <laughs> parts of the crest are put good friends, cold beer, and the best in sports. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you were meant to go to the advertising industry. Yeah, yeah. Cold, cold beer, the best in sports. Yeah, I did the I did the cold beer because you know my my parents liked uh, Miller High Life at the time, and uh, and I remember that and good friends. I knew that we were friendly. I knew that coming from Texas and the word Texas, Tejas, you know, having a connotation with friendly. I knew that, you know, we were friendly people being Texans, but also just our family, just really friendly and open. And the best in sports piece really spoke to, like, my dad was a track athlete. 
He ran when he was he ran track, you know, even when he was in the military and the Air Force. Most of his siblings ran track. My brother played basketball. I'm pro- actually out of all of my family, I'm pro- I'm the only one that's that has no athletic inclination. Um, but we excelled, and so so it, it you know it enabled me to craft a story for myself that was based upon my perspective of my truth, my perspective on my identity. I knew that the cold beer piece would add a little bit of humor into the conversation. So, you know, could I, as I'm thinking about that now as an adult, could I have been, you know, sort of adding some humor to to deflect the attention on why I'm making mine up and other classmates actually rock crest of theirs in and coat of arms in from their family that was hanging on their wall in their actual home. And the pride that they have of knowing what those things were and us not having it, you know, could I have been deflecting some of that? I don't know. But I, I, I do know and appreciate um, that continued journey of discovery of identity and where you don't have an understanding of identity, being able to carve and create your own. I mean, I think it's part and parcel uh, a story of, you know, the black experience in, in the United States for so many people that, you know, came through through Africa, through uh, the, the Middle Passage and arrived here with uh, their customs and language and, and things being taken, you know, we had to establish new identity. And by and large, a lot of the things that Black people established in the country include American music as we know it, include, you know, a different way of looking at food, uh, include a different way of, you know, Unfortunately, even though through slavery, you know, black people created the service industry, created the standard of good service, you know, actually. And and so, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having to create innovations breed out of necessity, uh, whatever that quote is. And so um, I think it started that journey of being able to create where there's a void and having the strength and understanding that identity and image and storytelling is so incredibly important. Wow, there's so many things to unpack there. I want to unpack a, a couple of them. One, just a reminder that people don't realize how much history is lost that we are unaware of. I think back just to my grandparents. My grandmother, man, was born in Arkansas. Like, there's only a couple. I can't even really do a deep family tree, man, because of the lost information, not knowing certain things, certain dates, records not properly kept. That breaks my heart, though. We're still working hard trying to find more. Uh, you made me laugh just briefly. You mentioned Miller High Life. But, you know, the first beer I ever tasted was Miller High Life between my dad's legs when I was a kid. Yeah, I, I forgot about Miller High Life. Yeah, the little, um, the small little bottles, the little pony bottles. Yeah, well, my dad didn't like the small ones. He liked the big ones and 40 ounces. Uh, <laughs> but I know the ponies. But I also love Lincoln about that. Your teacher. I think teachers and us, and even let's, let's, we can say teacher, but let's think about managers and leaders and think about those times those men and women come to us with ideas mm-hmm. or suggestions and how, how many times we shut them down, yeah. right? We don't let them innovate. We don't let them explore. We don't allow them to discover. And wow, I just love that your teacher, even at that young age, one, you had the awareness, like I have to create something and that she embraced that and said, Yes, to allow you to lean into that. Um, I'm curious now learning that, talking about the importance of identity, image and storytelling. Of course, you're a brilliant storyteller. Again, it's no wonder that you've worked in an industry that storytelling is critical. Um, 
how has that now shifted itself to how you are raising your son? Now, I know he's only about to be five years old, but when you think about the crest and the identity you want to instill in him, what does that look like? Yeah, I think, I, I think you know, he has such a rich heritage inside of him that is multifaceted that I think until he understood understands geography just a little bit more than he does now, that he won't appreciate it at this age. But I, w- I do want to start. We very much, he knows that he's a brown boy. Um, he knows that his skin color is different. He knows when he's reading a book, a children's book, and there's imagery, he knows when he sees himself reflected. Like there's a book that has that has this little kid in it and the kids about his, you know, complexion. And he had a number two soccer jersey on and my son had a number, that was his soccer jersey, number two. And so he thinks this kid is him. So when he's, when one day we were turning the page, the first time we read the book, we were turning the page and we turned the page and, and the first page that that kid wasn't there, he said, dad, where am I? And I was like, wow, you are really thinking about seeing yourself reflected. I mean, we were in the grocery store and I tried to allow him to select as many things as possible, like make choices. And so, you know, I said, Hey, you know, here's all these, here's, I mean, he would, may have been two, maybe I said, Hey, here's, you know, here's a whole bunch of diapers, pull-ups, stuff like that. Which one do you want? And he scanned, he chose the pull-up that had the black father and son on it. Mm. Now, fortunately we have those images now on products and stuff like that, whereas they used to not. But he's but he's aware of it. So what what Montgomery, my son's going to find out is that his grandfather, his grandfather's family is part Chinese. They were Chinese and Spanish that lived in Venezuela, uh, were asked to leave Venezuela and had to leave and move to Trinidad. So they're Trinidadian. Um, so they're Caribbean. His grandfather married uh, a woman who's not deceased, but she's Creole. Uh, that she can actually trace her family. I trace it for his mom, trace it back to her family were some of the first uh, French settlers in Quebec. And the wow. documents from the 1500s is showing them coming from France to Quebec, right? So you mix that up with, you know, my family being from Texas and whatever Ancestry.com is telling me I'm from nowadays, he's going to find that there's almost not a part of the globe that he has blood in, you know, mm. family has, has, you know, English on my, on my mom's mom's side, you have English, French, Chinese, Spanish, African, West African, and then, you know, the great country of Texas in you, you, you have a lot, you have a lot in you and therefore you have a lot to access and learn that will unlock. And, you know, kind of going back to where you're talking about food, you know, I find that when I taste food, spices and herbs that come from certain parts of the world, especially if I, if my DNA has any correlation to those parts of the world, I come alive in a certain way. What was naturally planted in those spaces is interacting with where my blood is actually coming from. And it, and it gives me life in a different way than some other spices and herbs. That's fascinating. I've never thought about it like that, but there have been times I look at it twofold. One, there have been times I've seen someone I never met before, but I'm like, I know you. And you know, there's something historically in previous generations like, like oh, I know you. Yeah. But there's also been times where I've had a bite of, t- a bite of something to eat 
that I've never had before. And I'm like, I know you like, you know, it's deep into our, our genes. Hey, as we get ready to wind down, I want to ask one last question. It's a unique one. It doesn't necessarily touch on what we just discussed, but I would just love your perspective on this. You know, the, the name of this podcast is the best thing. And a lot of times people think the best thing to happen to them is behind them, Lincoln, as opposed to in front of them. How do you ensure for you the best is ahead? I think the best is ahead and it will always be ahead because at an early age and an early adulthood, I sought out what the vision should be for the rest of my life. And I, and I didn't only seek it out. I had a mentor that said, hey, I want you to write what he called the opportunity paper. What do you want to do in the next year? What do you want to do in the next five to 10 years? And then what do you see yourself doing in the rest of your life? And I go back to that and every once in a while, and I'm like, wow, I am doing exactly that. So I think you have to have vision so that you can understand where you want to go. And I think if your vision is informed based upon some level of experience and exposure, I think that's even greater because it has the ability to become a little bit more tangible. So yeah, I could in the future want to be an astronaut, but because of the lack of my knowledge and my uh, lack of pursuit and even getting the knowledge about aerodynamics and space dynamics, all that type of thing. uh, Yeah, that's probably a little far off, right? I'm I'm not doing anything to get there. I'm not even surrounding myself with people that are know anything about space. I'm not reading anything about space. So is that really an accurate vision or is it just something that I'm making up that sounds good to me or sounds good to someone else? Oh, I love that. What a great reframe. Is it an accurate vision? Because I think we all know sometimes as we're writing it down, if it's accurate or not, it's not saying don't have big goals, don't have big dreams for yourself, but that astronaut one is just a great way to think about it. So I invite everyone, including myself, I think he called it an opportunity paper to spend some time identifying what we want to, our vision to be, not just for today, this week, this month, this year, but for the rest of our life. And as you know, Lincoln, many times I find that most of the things that I've written down for myself, those goals, they come to fruition, right? And I think there's, a, there's this, like, it's like a, a, a testimony. It's like a faith statement we say out loud and maybe it becomes real. So thank you for that reminder. And I got to say thank you again, man, for just taking time to join me on this podcast. I'm sure listeners are going to love it. For people that want to learn more about you and also the Marcus Graham Project, where should they head to? They should go to the marcusgrahamproject.org and learn more about our nonprofit. They can go to locomotus.com and learn about our new um, venture that spun off from our nonprofit. And yeah, go to my Instagram and, and look at the food that I cook and try to battle with my good friend Charles on all the time. And speaking of like a vision, right? Locomotus, which we don't have time to talk about now, but all these links will be in the show notes. Locomotus is a vision that Lincoln and his co-founder Larry had many years back that now is coming back. It's because you did the work prior and now the time is perfect for it. So it's amazing that now it's coming back to life. And I'll put a link to that in our show notes. Lincoln, I can't thank you enough, man, for being a friend, an advocate, a supporter, so many different things, man. So thank you. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.